Good morning. I'm here to talk to you about Psalm 23. There is in the bulletin that you were handed a note sheet. You can fill that out. There's going to be a test afterwards. Just kidding. Psalm 23, God's medicine for worry, anxiety, and fear. Some uh, commentators have said that Psalm 23 is the most popular psalm in the Bible. It might be, might be the most popular scripture in the whole Bible, most quoted. It's quoted at funerals, but it has brought comfort to millions over the centuries. Personally, for me, um, this psalm has meant great comfort. I memorized it. It's only six verses, so it's easy to memorize. Um, in any case, I'm going to ask the question rhetorically, what are you afraid of? What do you worry about? What brings you anxiety? Psalm 23 is an amazing psalm. The danger in this psalm is that we've all heard it so many times, we think we know it, and so we want to look at it one verse at a time. But before we do, um, I found this online, a list of fears and anxieties in America. And we won't go through the whole list, but I find it interesting, the number one fear in America is public speaking. Number two is death. Isn't that amazing? That means that at a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy, right? And then there's spiders and darkness and all the rest in any case. And then I found this as well, what people worry about and what makes them anxious. And there's a whole list there, marriage and relationships, family, money and debt, health, uh, concerns, work, aging and dying, addiction, guilt, accidents, and then we pray for our nation, and there's all kinds of things to worry about there, but God is faithful, amen? So we want to look at Psalm 23, but before we do, we want to go just a little deeper, and this is a, a quote from Blaise Pascal, who was a Christian and also a uh, mathematician and a philosopher, and he wrote this quote, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person. And it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God made known through Jesus Christ. There's that void inside of every human being, unsaved people. And so people try to stuff stuff in there. Money, power, fame, drugs, alcohol, sex, college degrees, something to fill that void, and nothing works except that, as the graphic shows, there's a cross there. God is the only thing through Jesus Christ that fills it. Listen to Augustine, one of the church fathers. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. So rest is going to come up a lot, obviously. A relationship with God is what fills that hole. So we're going to look at three points today. The ultimate shepherd the ultimate host, and how to get both. And I want to just give you a hint ahead of time. When it says both there, I mean the ultimate shepherd and the ultimate host. But the truth is, the ultimate shepherd is the ultimate host. One fills both of those roles. Ultimate shepherd, ultimate host, how to get both. Let's dive in, shall we? I'm going to read the whole psalm, and then we'll talk about it verse by verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Beautiful, isn't it? So let's look, let's take it from the beginning. The Lord is my shepherd. We're going to kind of dissect it here. Every one of those words is important. Notice it's the, meaning there's one Lord and one God. Judaism and Christianity are monotheistic. There's one God. Many world religions at that time were and still are polytheistic, many gods. The Lord, when you see in your Bible, Lord spelled that way, all capitals, L-O-R-D, What's happening is in Hebrew, they're translating, translating the word Y-H-W-H. It's called the Tetragrammaton. It's a fancy name. All it means is it's the personal name for God, Yahweh or Jehovah. So this is saying an astounding thing. The person that can pray this and say this psalm is, has the confidence to say that God himself, of all people, God himself, the Lord, is present tense my shepherd. The next phrase, the next word is is, meaning I not someday, not I used to have a relationship, is, present tense. Notice the next word is the most important, my. The personal nature of a relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father. The Lord is my shepherd. Now we're going to look at what a shepherd does uh, in a second. But it's very personal, and there's great confidence in this. Remember that a shepherd has all kinds of duties for the sheep. The shepherd feeds and waters the sheep. That's his responsibility. He also directs, inspects, protects, and corrects. Directs means guides. Inspects means he looks us over carefully to find anything in us that needs fixing, if you will. Protects, that's pretty obvious. Corrects, we'll talk more about that in a little while, his sheep. He also seeks out the lost sheep. That's what a shepherd does. So when we say the Lord is my shepherd, that's relationship. That's provision, him taking care of us, care and security. But you got to think about those words because when you say shepherd, you got to think about trusting him and understanding him. The more we understand and know God, the easier it is to trust Him. We get to know Him from His Word, of course, and by the daily obedience. So that's absolute care from the shepherd. But there's a problem. If the Lord is my shepherd, what does that make you and me? A sheep. I wish it made me a lion, right? Or a dolphin. Dolphins are very smart. In the Tuesday night Bible study, for a few years, we had a guy named Richard attend from Coarse Gold who was a sheep farmer, and he told us a lot about sheep, and basically, you probably already know this, but sheep are really, really dumb. I don't think it's an accident that God chose this. I don't mean to demean anybody here, and I don't mean your intellect. 
I mean spiritually, sheep are dumb. They're prone to wander. They are defenseless. They are easily led astray. My friend that was a sheep herder told me that if there was a cliff and sheep were grazing on it, and one sheep walked to the edge and fell over, invariably others would follow. I want to go where he went and fall over. So if the Lord is my shepherd, that makes me a sheep. Very humble position, amen? We have to start with that humility that we need a shepherd. I need a Lord. I need a Savior. Admit our inability to save ourselves. Psalm 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've everyone turned to his own way. So this psalm, I want you to notice, doesn't connect with people that are self-sufficient. I'm a self-made man. I can do it. I don't need anybody. I don't need God. It's just the opposite. There's great humility in saying the Lord is my shepherd, but there's also great comfort. So that's absolute care from the shepherd and great humility for me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I won't lack anything that I need. That's a well-fed sheep, isn't it? Really well-fed. I shall not want has the idea of being needs being met, not greeds, but needs, all the needs being met. To want is Old English for lacking something. The confidence is with the Lord as my shepherd, I have everything I need provided for me, but in a real, in a, a more uh, tangible sense, when I have God as my shepherd, that alone is everything that I need. Everything else follows after that. Who better to be your sheep than an all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present, loving God? Pretty amazing. So he knows what we need, and he even knows when to give it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. NIV translated, I, uh, translates it, I lack nothing. Every need is met for the sheep of this ultimate shepherd. Psalm 34 says, They who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. 1 Timothy 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Every need met in him, if we have a relationship with the living God, we have it all. But notice the nature of the relationship is not, thanks for being in my life, when I need you, I'll ring the bell, otherwise leave me alone. It's sheep which obeys and follows the shepherd. We'll talk more about that in a second. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. So that's rest for the sheep, first of all, lie down. I want you to notice that a life that's controlled by God starts with us earning it, no. Us deserving it, no. Us working, no. It starts with the realization that we can rest spiritually, that he's done it all. We'll, we'll talk more about that later. He causes me to lie down or he makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures in the Middle East are rare for a sheep, green pastures are an unlimited buffet, an unlimited smorgasbord, right, of food. So there's the food need met, but also there's a human need for rest, isn't there? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. My friend that was a shepherd told me that sheep rarely lie down. There's all kinds of conditions 
met, that have to be met or a sheep won't lie down. Number one, if they're afraid in any way, they won't lie down. If there's friction with the other sheep, if there's any kind of parasites or thing that they're worried about physically, they won't lie down. If they're anxious about food and water, they're hungry, they won't lie down. A sheep that's lying down like that has had all his needs met. He is totally at peace. He trusts the shepherd, he or she, trusts the shepherd completely. Rest, abundance, comfort. He leads me beside the still, some translations have quiet, waters. Waters of rest is literally how it reads uh, in Hebrew. John 7, Jesus says, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I want you to notice that so far he has been doing everything, hasn't he? He's making me lie down. He's leading me to those waters of rest kind of thing. Guidance from him leading, supply, refreshment, and peace. I want you to notice he does the leading. I've noticed in my life I have a bad habit of praying in such a way that I'm attempting to lead God. Have you ever done that? Follow me, God. I got this plan. It's going to be great. Instead of taking his leading. He leads us with the still small voice of his spirit, but also through his word. Still waters, not rushing waters, which would be dangerous. There's great peace in this psalm. When I say it, when I'm feeling stress or whatever, I say it one verse at a time, sometimes one word at a time, and meditate on each word. It's really, really comforting. So there's guidance, there's supply, refreshment, peace from the ultimate shepherd. This is a great one. He restores my soul. Look at Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The law of the Lord is his word, right? The Bible, that there's a restoration that takes place. The idea here is in terms of a sheep, he's restoring or rescuing that lost sheep that wandered way off. A person's soul, he returns, restores my soul, has the idea of a whole, the whole person. Much like later on we're going to see path, cup, same kinds of things. They refer to the whole person's life, if you will. Literally, he causes my life to return. Now, if you think about that, he restores my soul, he causes my life to return. It sounds like the person was dead. And in a sense, every human being is Ephesians says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Apart from a work of God making us alive in the Holy Spirit, in Jesus Christ, we are dead, alive physically, dead spiritually. So he restores my soul, bringing life to me where it needed restoring. Again, there's humility here. You have to admit that you needed restoring in order to say this and give him the glory for the restoration, if you will. What Jesus did is key, and we'll talk more about that later, but this is forgiveness and repentance as well. Um, he does it through his word, but he does it through his son, Jesus Christ. Remember that sin had blocked the vertical relationship between you and God. With that being taken care of with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there's restoration, there's forgiveness, and the relationship can go on. So he restores my soul, that's healing, and forgiveness. Notice that rest comes first. We realize he did what we could not do. He lived the perfect life in our place. 
died the horrible death we deserved in our place, offers us his righteousness. Nothing we can earn or deserve, but then you say, well, wait, you're talking all about rest and everything. Doesn't the Christian life involve working for the Lord? Absolutely it does. But the, where we can get tripped up is working for the Lord has nothing to do with earning or deserving our salvation. Well, then why do you work for the Lord? Why do you obey him? Why do you abstain from the sinful things he says to abstain from? To earn your salvation? No. In response to or gratitude to God for the incredible gift he's given you. You want to obey him. You want to bring glory to him. More about that later. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. I know that's only half of that sentence, but I want to take this half first. Again, who does the leading? God. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. can also be translated right paths. There's sort of a double meaning here. Paths of righteousness would mean obedience, obeying God. You're living a righteous life. See the path through that forest? God is leading you, the ultimate shepherd, through that path. But remember, he's leading you to the extent that you and I obey, right? Because the sheep can easily take a left and go way into the forest and get a bunch of ticks and poison oak, and there might be predators waiting, or he can stay on the path, right? We can stray, and we're prone to straying, but a person's path is their life's course. To the extent we submit, he leads us. The other meaning for paths of righteousness is right paths can be translated, meaning there is a right path for every human life. God has a purpose, and so he may have gifted her and her and him with certain things that he hasn't gifted me with. Therefore, their path for life is different than mine. We all are to obey, but their occupation, their time might be spent differently than mine. He's the one doing the leading. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's surprising to me. Because I'm expecting it to say, he leads me in the path of righteousness for my good, which is true as well, by the way. But why he does it, he leads me in those paths of righteousness because the world is watching you and I as believers. When they see people whose lives are changed, who were previously jerks and sinners like me and have changed, it brings glory to him. A person's name in the Old Testament was their whole reputation, the whole being, for his name's sake, in other words, that's glory to God because of us living on the right path, being led by him, and a purpose for me. You say, what's that purpose? The primary purpose is for you and I to bring glory to our heavenly Father. That's the reason we're here, and it doesn't get any better than that. So glory to God, the highest purpose, and uh, a purpose for us. Up to this point, you may have noticed, everything's been just great, right? And isn't that the way life goes? No, it's not, right? We've had green pastures, we've had still waters, we've got a shepherd, he's leading us in the right path. And then, though I, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalm is very realistic. It doesn't paint a rosy picture. This side of heaven, because we live in a fallen creation due to Adam and Eve's sin, and all of ours, by the way, we're going to have times of valleys. That's a trial, a trouble, testing, or the moment when we pass from this world to the next one. Amen? 
So there's trials, there's trouble. I want you to notice, well, let's go back one, sorry. Though I run screaming and freaking out through the valley, no. <laughs> Though I walk, I don't live in the valley permanently, I'm walking through it, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Okay, a couple facts about valleys quickly. Number, scripturally, valleys, trials, troubles in our lives are inevitable. If you don't think, if you think because you came to Christ you're not going to have any trouble, you got the wrong Messiah, right? This side of heaven, we will have trouble. Listen to Jesus, John 16. I've told you these things so that in me, meaning Jesus, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. We live in a fallen creation. There will be trouble. This psalm addresses it in a beautiful way. Let's keep going. Valleys are inevitable. They're also temporary. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, 2 Corinthians says, Paul writes. They're light and momentary. You say, it doesn't feel that way to me. I've been suffering for years. Listen, how long is eternity with God in heaven? And now compared to that, how long is your 80, 90, 100, 70, 80, whatever year life? It's like that. Light and momentary troubles. Notice they're achieving an eternal glory for us that outweighs them all. First Peter says in this, and he's talking about trials, in this trial you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs in all kinds of trials. Compared to eternity, the valleys are very short. So they're inevitable, they're temporary. Here's the weird one, they're beneficial. They help us when we have that kind of trouble. These, he's talking about trials, have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It's a lot easier to go through a trial when you realize God is using this somehow to teach me to build me up, to burn away the stuff he doesn't want in my life. Valleys draw us closer to God. Statistically and historically, the Christian church has grown more when there was severe persecution and trouble than when everything is cool, right? Now listen, there are times in your life when everything is pretty good. What do you do in those times? You just praise him and thank him, amen? You thank him even in the valleys, but in the valleys you know he's growing you and I. Valleys are beneficial. James 1 really nails it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces or develops perseverance, makes you tougher. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. For the believer, even valleys are used for our good. Romans 8.28, amen. Okay, three facts about shadows real quickly. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Shadows are usually bigger than reality. Have you noticed that? In a sense, shadows aren't real. They can't hurt us. A shadow can't hurt you. It's only the shadow of death. And I love this. Shadows indicate that there is light somewhere, right? Even in the valley, even in the valley, especially in the valley. Remember what did Jesus say about himself? I am the light of the world. 
And then interestingly, later in that same gospel, he says, you, to believers, are the light of the world. We're supposed to reflect that light that he's shown us and given us. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's only a shadow of death. Death has no sting for a believer. Jesus took the sting of death for us. For a believer, death is a glorious resurrection. Do you know, fellow Christian, that your future, regardless of where you are in the baseball game of your life, your future is absolutely glorious. It's amazing, and it's eternal. But in the meantime, even if the score of your baseball game is 16 to 1 and you're losing, I'm telling you, based on the Word of God, your future is absolutely glorious in Him. Okay, so, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what's the next phrase? I will fear no evil. Now, I don't mean the German shepherds are evil. Don't write me letters. I love dogs. I just chose this graphic because that kitten is so small and that German shepherd looks so big, right? You ever felt that way in your life, that you're facing this trial, this valley, this heavy thing, and it's so much bigger than you? Or have you ever felt that you were outnumbered by your problems? I will fear no evil. Because of our relationship with the ultimate shepherd, we can fear no evil. The reason for that is coming up in the next phrase, but we're not there yet. I will fear no evil. That is protection. Confidence in the shepherd and total peace to be able to say that. It's incredible. What does the word say? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Right? Who's the he? It's the Lord, isn't it? The Holy Spirit. It's Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Does that mean Satan? Yes. Does it mean any other human being or created thing? Yes. He's greater. Therefore, you can say with confidence, I will fear no evil. Protection, confidence in the shepherd, peace. Listen to Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's closer in the midst of those trials and valleys that we go through. Notice the humility, admitting that you're brokenhearted, you're crushed in spirit. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 in the um, Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that know that they're spiritually bankrupt. I'm done. I can't please God on my own. I can't get to heaven. I can't jump to heaven. Save me. It's beautiful. Great humility. Now, this is a little sidebar, if I may. In the psalm, there's a change in pronouns that's really interesting. Prior to this, look at the beginning. The, the person saying this, David writing it, who was a shepherd, by the way, helped him to shepherd Israel. Notice the pronouns. The Lord, he's talking about the God in the third person. That guy, the Lord, is my shepherd. He makes me to lie. He leads me. He restores me. He guides me for his name's sake. Notice when the valley of the shadow of death shows up, when the trial comes, the dark time of your life comes, where's God? Now how is he talking about God? He? No, you. He's talking to God now. 
I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they cover me. You prepare a table before me. You anoint me. It's the whole tenure of the, the whole tone of the psalm changes. From the third person, now he's talking to God personally because God is closer. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, if, that's, if there was a period after the word evil, you would say, well, is that just a mantra? You say it over and over. I will fear no evil. You've got to give me a reason. And here it is. You, talking to God, are with me. That's astounding that God, the God of the universe, is with you and I as believers I chose that graphic because that little guy looks so, just little, so small and helpless, and that big, huge shepherd with that staff. You are with me. Faithfulness on the part of God, comfort for you and I, and absolute assurance. You say, well, does the Bible say that anywhere else? Sure it does. What did Jesus say? Lo, I am with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. Beautiful. What assurance. How about this one? Don't you know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells where? In you. You can't get any closer than that, right? How about this one? They will call him, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus, Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. He's leading, but he's also completely with us. Let's talk about the tools of the Shepherd. Uh, a shepherd has a rod and a staff. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See those two sticks? That's basically what they are. The shorter one was about that long, like a billy club, basically. Really hard, dense, heavy wood would be chosen. The shepherd would wear it on his belt often. The shepherd would get really good at throwing that rod at any predator that came anywhere near his flock of sheep protecting them. The other stick is called a staff. It's much longer, has a crooked, uh, a crook is actually what it's called at the top of it. I don't mean politician, I mean a crook, okay? Um, he has a, a staff and a rod. The staff he would use to gently guide the sheep because that curved side could grab the sheep by the neck and correct them when they were getting off the path. Now, this is interesting. The person saying this out loud, the David writing this, and for you and I reciting it or memorizing it, when you get here, you have to realize what you're saying. You're saying to God, I'm so thankful that you protect me, your rod, the tool of a shepherd, protect me from enemies, and that you correct me with that staff and can gently put me back onto the path I'm supposed to be on. Now, a rod in the Old Testament was also used by the priests to count the tithe. And get this, a rod was also used, the shepherd would hold it outright and count the sheep one by one as they came into the fold. He knows his sheep, he knows how many there are. Remember Jesus' parable about the hundred and one is astray, he leaves the ninety-nine and he goes and finds the one. The staff is for correction, the rod is for protection, but... In extreme cases, a shepherd would use the rod, the shorter stick, the heavier stick, for correction. If a sheep was obstinate and would not obey, 
the shepherd would whack him with the rod. The person saying this is saying, I'm glad that you will correct me because on my own, I'm prone to wander. It's beautiful and it's also very humble. He counts each of us individually. He protects us. He uh, also uh, guides us. Protection, guidance, and correction. If you have invented your own God, he can never correct you because he's going to agree with you because you made him up. The God of the Bible corrects us through his word, but also through the still small voice of his spirit. Let's review the ultimate shepherd. The reason is we're about to change metaphors. I'll show you why in a second. So the ultimate shepherd is personally ours, personally yours. The Lord is my shepherd. Every need is met in him. I shall not want. If you have him, you have everything you need. He feeds and waters the sheep, directs, inspects, corrects, and protects his sheep. What else does he do? He gives us rest, forgiveness, and peace. He is with us, even in the dark times. He brings glory to his name and gives us a purpose. God's able to do all of this because he's God, amen? Now, I said that's the review of the ultimate shepherd. Now, watch. The metaphor is going to change. We're going to go from the ultimate shepherd to the ultimate host. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, how do you know that the metaphor has changed, Joe? Simple. Sheep don't eat at tables, right? Who eats the tables? People. So from the ultimate shepherd, our Lord becomes our ultimate host. A host would prepare a table before a person. Now, in the Middle East, when they, people were traveling, there were not Holiday Inns and Marriott's and Hilton's. Most inns were corrupt. So you would have to, if you're traveling, rely on the hospitality, which was a big deal in the Middle East and still is, of someone who would allow you into their home as their guest, where they would prepare a table. God himself is preparing a table before you, before me, interestingly, in the presence of my enemies. Again, very realistic. When you become a Christian, Satan paints a bullseye on your back. You will have enemies, both in the physical world and in the spiritual world. But he's preparing a table before us, even in the presence of them. What does that mean? In the Middle East, hospitality, as I said, was a big deal. And three things were assumed. One was room and board. Well, that's two, actually, room and board. Uh, meaning shelter, a place to stay, and food and drink at the table. But the third was that when you came into my house as my guest, I was basically saying, I will protect you from your enemies. As long as you're under my roof, I will protect you. God is protecting us from the enemies, preparing a lavish meal, beautiful picture of his generous, kind love. That's the ultimate host giving intimate fellowship, supply, and protection. But there's more. I feel like one of those TV pitchmen now. If you order now, besides the table in the presence of our enemies, there's the whole idea of anointing my head with oil. You say, what on earth is that? First of all, that's honor. For a host to anoint the head of a guest with oil was a sign that he greatly honored you um, by being there. But in the Bible, Old Testament and New, 
over 200 times just in the Old Testament, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'll give you an example. 1 Samuel 16, Samuel anoints David with oil to be the new king of Israel. The very next verse says, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. There's a direct connection in the Old Testament between oil and the Holy Spirit. So when you read, you anoint my head with oil, he's honoring you as a guest in his home, but he's also giving you the Holy Spirit, God within you. What's the next phrase? My cup runs over. Beautiful. The whole idea here is of absolute abundance. Now, there may be some that say, well, you know, that seems like a waste. Why isn't it my cup is full? It's overflowing. It's showing the lavish generosity of God and all he's given you and I. It's abundance to the point of generosity, meaning you have so much and so do I. We can give it away. My cup, meaning my life, life's course kind of thing. So much we can give it away. My cup runs over, that's abundance. This is beautiful. As the psalm is concluding, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's blessing. And lifelong, I want you to know, all the days of my life. Notice, lifelong assurance. Notice the words, carefully chosen. Maybe, goodness, hopefully, surely. Calm assurance. Goodness and mercy. The word is hesed, loving kindness in Hebrew. Loving kindness. God's grace, His goodness, His mercy will follow. Did you notice anything about God's position in this psalm? Where was He in the early verses? Leading, he leads me still waters, leads me in paths of righteousness, remember? Makes me lie down. He's leading his people, right? Where was he in the dark valleys when things were really hard and heavy and then there was a trial and a testing? With me. Where is he throughout the course of my life to the last day? Following. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. There's a a little bit of a double meaning here that the goodness and mercy that I'm living and giving out to the world is follow. I'm leaving a trail of it for other people to see. Blessing and lifelong assurance. God has you surrounded, leading with you, behind you. And I hope someday, I think, I wish, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever right? This takes off from where the last verse left off, right? Which was all the days of my life. This is, what about after that? Calm assurance again. Absolute confidence in the ultimate host that I will dwell in his house, the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. Notice that you're dwelling there. You're not a guest for a few days and he can kick you out, evict you. No way. You're a permanent member of the family. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, you know, besides sheep, we're called servants in his kingdom. We're called daughters and sons. Amen. But here we are, his household, his family, for sure. No matter what your life has been like, your future as a believer is absolutely glorious. What does John 14 say? Jesus talks I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. 
That's the place. That's an actual photo, by the way. I got it online. Um, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I almost didn't do a graphic because what does heaven look like? Do I know? No. Way better than that, right? Um, security and fellowship with God are ultimate host for eternity. Let's review the ultimate host. He provides intimate fellowship with him. Abundance and supply, protection, honor, the Holy Spirit, lifelong assurance of goodness and mercy following us, and then the security for eternity in his house. Well, we've looked at the ultimate shepherd. We've looked at the ultimate host. Now we just need to talk about how to get both. And again, both means the ultimate host and the ultimate shepherd, but they're the same person, the Lord. But it turns out in the New Testament, we learn something we don't have completely in the Old, and that is that the ultimate shepherd is Jesus Christ. In John 10, he claims to be that when he says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, meaning what? He died for you, right? So that there could be that relationship. He died in our place. By the way, if you're here today and you are somewhat interested, but you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you still have a lot of questions, a lot of doubts, a lot of little things preventing you from coming. First of all, in this church, we want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here. I urge you, don't leave this place without talking to somebody, me, one of the elders, the person that brought you, whoever it may be, investigate, get your questions answered, read the word, ask God if you really are the true shepherd and the true host, will you reveal yourself to me? And he will, and you'll never regret it. Um, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. What's the nature of the relationship? Three things. He says, Jesus, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. What does it mean to hear his voice? You're talking about hearing audible voices. Maybe you need to see a psychiatrist, Joe. I've never heard an audible voice from God. If you have, God bless you. I never have. I hear his word, which is his voice, right? The Bible. My sheep hear my voice. It doesn't just mean they hear it. They follow me, meaning they obey. Notice, I know them. That's a little scary for me because I know myself and I'm not that great by any means. Ask my wife after the service. <laughs> my sheep hear my voice. I know them. He knows me. He knows you better than anybody does and he loves you anyway. That's astounding to me. But we hear his voice in the word and then we obey it. Blessed are those, Jesus says, who hear the word of God and obey it, Luke 11. That's the nature of the relationship. We obey him, right? We follow. Then there's prayer, which is communication with the ultimate shepherd, the ultimate host. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, he's with you and he's listening. He wants you to talk to him. That's all prayer is. Ultimate shepherd host, Jesus Christ, is available to you anytime, night or day. You don't have to press one for English. You don't have to talk to an operator. You can talk to him anytime. And the result of all that is peace. 
Remember the worry, the anxiety, the doubt? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on, concentrated on you, Isaiah 26 says, because he trusts in you. I've told you these things, Jesus writes, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, as we read earlier. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Ultimate peace comes from the ultimate shepherd and the ultimate host. Last thoughts. The invisible God, and he is invisible, is experienced by faith. Faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. So we pray, we read God's word, we get to know that shepherd and host. We trust him, we obey him. And then you begin to sense God's fingerprints on every single thing in your life. Absolute assurance. Will you read the psalm out loud with me, slowly and thoughtfully? I urge you, try at least to memorize or at least read the psalm often and refer to it. Say it out loud. It's very comforting. Let's read it together, shall we? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we are just knocked over by the beauty of this psalm and the love and the care from you, God the absolute assurance and confident peace that we have because of you. May we each remember <clears throat> this psalm and refer to it often, read it aloud, memorize it, and may we have that confidence in you and that relationship, Father. May we follow you and your leading day by day. Bring that comfort to us. Thank you that you fill the hole in our hearts like nothing else can. May this change the way we view our troubles, our trials, our valleys, even our own deaths, God. May our fears just be replaced by the confident assurance that you love us and you want to be our ultimate shepherd, our ultimate host. We give praise and worship to you, God, and we pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, I was thinking about, um, there's a couple of parables in Matthew 13 where Jesus talks about the pearl of great price, the treasure in a field. And in each case, the person that finds it sells everything they have to get it. That's what our great shepherd is. What an awesome thing. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, bless each one here, God. I pray that our faith would grow and that we would change the way we live and think because of what we've read today. Thank you for these truths. We pray in Christ. Christ's name. Amen.